Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? COVID-19 has me losing my mind around here. But as always, it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Hummer, we're joined by a special guest today. He's finally back on the podcast. The only time we had him on this season was to talk about Marty Brenneman. Cam Papp, welcome back to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. What's up, fellas? How's my quarantine doing? <laughs> doing well. You know, we're set up here at this podcast to do well during a quarantine because we we do everything from home, self-produced, recorded from our from our mom's basement. Uh, this is this is really our sweet spot. This is going to be our sweet spot for the Cincy Slang and Pod. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised you guys haven't spit one of these out every day. What else are you doing? Well, you know, Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> Not I. I. I thought the quarantine would free up more time for me uh, than it than it has because uh, life goes on. You know, the kids are still running around. Uh, there's still work to be done outside of the podcast and. Uh, Look, the Bearcat season ended, so it, it, there's there's a dearth of content out there in terms of what we can talk about. But Cam, I'm glad you're joining us today because it sounds like you're ready to challenge us, challenge us on some of the the hype and optimism that we brought to our season wrap up podcast, and rightfully so. You know, Hummer and I spent a whole season together talking Bearcats basketball, and so some of our takes and our opinions may have become over aligned as the season went on. So. Uh, Let's just get started. Cam, what's your take? Was this season as successful as Hummer, Hummer and I thought it was? Well, you guys are always, you know, sunshines and rainbows. So someone has to play at least devil's advocate a little bit. Um, yeah, I think if you would have told me before the season started that we'd go, you know, we'd win 20 games and sneak into the tournament, I would say, yeah, that's a that's a solid, you know, first season for Brandon. I'd say that's fairly successful. But I also think, you know, like we played six, seven overtime games. And if we would have lost that Temple game, I think we'd be talking about the season a lot differently. I don't think we would necessarily call it a success. We lost to Norwood. If you guys, <laughs> you know, don't forget about that. Um, now, to be fair, and, uh, Sam did tell us and explain that that game is completely irrelevant and, and doesn't matter at all. So that's why you don't factor that into your how your season went. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, there's two things about Brandon that, you know, both one negative and one positive. I think that at the start of the year, I feel like he was too committed to his system. I get he needs to, you know, implement his own um, his own offense and his own thing. But the way that things worked out with Cumberland was always weird. And the fact that it took him so long to figure out that it might not be the right setup for these guys was a little frustrating. I think I agree. Right. I think there was, there was some slowness in reacting to the talent on the team. Now, the reason I can kind of explain that away is that when John Brandon takes the job, he gets on the press, he has a first, first press conference about what he's bringing to the university. And he hypes up the fact that he wants to play 94 feet. He wants to press, he wants to increase the tempo and he wants to, to score points. And so I think as a coach who's joining a university for the first time, he's not the most notable name 
It's not like folks are sitting on their couch watching NKU last year. He wants to make his impact and, and, and kind of show people what his style of basketball is about. The problem is the roster as constructed was not equipped to handle a John Brandon motion offense that's based on skill, passing, high IQ offensive plays, and then shooting. Because there just frankly was not a lot of shooting on this team. So that would be my concern for next season as well. So, like, I was I actually didn't get to the positive. So I think the positive part about Brandon is that he did adjust, and I don't think ever, any every coach would do that. I think some would just stick to the system and say, you know what, this is my system, this is what I do. So the fact that he did that actually proves that he's probably a real coach and a very good coach and could be something special. So I like that. I just his system. I I don't know if it works particularly well. For us, it's a high motion offense. It involves guys that can handle the ball and not turn the ball over. And you need shooters. And those are often things I don't really equate with um, Cincinnati basketball and um, really just college basketball in general. You know, there's like Jim Beheim made a whole career off of uh, the fact that college basketball players can't shoot. He just invented a whole defense based on it. I mean, there's there's like there's elements I think that are, are correct there, but then at the same time, if you're looking at the types of rosters that previous coaches have built, you know, mainly McCronin, they were built on the idea of let's just get guys who are athletic and long and can play defense. He was kind of doing that same thing. Let's just let's just play defense and get these guys out of their element because they are college basketball players. When I'm looking at what Brandon's doing on the recruiting trail, he is doing something a little different than Mick Cronin, where he's looking, I think, for for guys that are still athletic and long and, and talented, but he's going for more ba- high basketball IQ. And you can see that in the types of players that he's he's recruiting. And so I think once he gets those players into his system, it's going to look better than what we saw this year. You know, Him making that transition, yes, it took, what, 10 games into the season to make that transition to saying, hey, Jaron Cumberland, you're going to be the – you're going to be the guy to handle handle the handle the offense. We're going to run it through you. But like you said, he did make that transition, and that's huge because I could see it going the other way around. Where let's flip the script and let's say it's it's been Brandon here for ten years. Brandon's had an okay run here, and he's leaving. And Mick Cronin is now coming in to take over his players, who are high emotion running around guys. And Mick Cronin just wants to play stuff defense. Is he going to switch it and all of a sudden say, "Well, you know what? We're going to go back to playing with these guys and run a more up tempo offense." Is he going to succeed in that type of environment if the if the roles were were reversed? Yeah, and I think that's going to be the key, right? When he starts getting his recruits in and and what the system will look like. So then, do you think next year? Do you think with the guys that we think we will have and the recruits are coming in, is he going to run that same system, or do you think he's going to adjust? I think it'll be a much more democratic offense next year because you're losing a guy in Jaron Cumberland. Let's face it, Jaron Cumberland's the guy that probably made it difficult for him to implement his quote-unquote system in his first year, right? This is a guy who's been used to having the ball in his hands, making all the decisions for the offense, whether he shoots, whether he passes, everything is running through Jaron Cumberland and really has been for you know now two-plus seasons. I mean, by the end of his sophomore season, he was a main offensive option for Mick Cronin. So you remove him from the equation, and now you have a lineup where maybe the highest-usage guy on the team at this point is going to be Keith Williams. We know that Keith Williams is not a guy that who's, you just put the ball in his hands and let him create for others. That's not what he does well. He can do some isolation where he beats his man off the dribble, but I do expect 
you know, if we're if we ever come out of quarantine and we have a chance to practice basketball again, that John Brandon would coach his players and create a system where, you know, it's it's more it's a shared load. No one guy is going to be running the show. He's going to be leaning on on a a wider variety of players, be it you know Keith, be it Micah Adams Woods, Tari Eason as a freshman. We'll see what options there are, but I think he just doesn't have the go-to option next season that that he did this season, uh, which should actually make it easier for him to play his style. Yeah, I think the other issue that we're we're going to look at next year too is this team's going to be so young that the lack of experience and and being able to keep guys on the court for I mean we had a few games where you had uh, not necessarily Jaron Kern, but you had Trey Scott on the court for forty minutes. I mean, how many games are we going to get out like that? Or are we going to need guys like that to step up and be playing for you know, 38, 40 minutes a game where I think next year you're going to see a lot more in and out. You're going to see a lot more rotation. You're going to see a lot more usage from from the younger guys, especially the sophomores on this team. Um, I think if Zach Harvey is able to to bulk up, get a little bit uh, you know more ahead of himself and keeping the ball in front of him, you're going to see a lot of Zach Harvey. But yeah, it's going to be very, very much more democratic. But at the same time, if there needs to be an adjustment made, I think Brandon will make that adjustment based on what the needs are of this team. Cause as of right now, I guess you don't really know what you have next year. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're going to be, it's going to live and die with Keith Williams. Right. And if you look at last season and look at Cumberland you say, well, did he, were you, did, did he start, did he end the season better than he started? Like, was he more, did he transform himself? Did he turn into a better player? I'd say no. So does that fall on Brandon a little bit? Or do you think that's on the player? Because I feel like he got thrown under the bus a lot this year. Um, well, and I, last year he was basically, you know, our the man. Everyone loved him. Yeah, he was the, I mean, he was being praised as preseason All-American. And his popularity in Cincinnati was never higher than before the season started. I think you've got two different things going on there. So, I do think we hit a point this season when Jaron Cumberland was playing at a higher level than he had ever played before in a Bearcat uniform. But it was a very limited stretch of basketball. It was basically the first five games, five, six, seven games of conference play, peaking at the Wichita State game. When the ball was in his hands at all times, he was creating assist opportunities and and scoring opportunities for other players at a higher clip than he had ever done. And he was scoring efficiently and starting to knock down shots. After that, which is when me and Hummer have speculated the foot injury was re-aggravated to a level to a to a point which he just couldn't ever really rebound from. His his shot fell off the map. He couldn't score efficiently anymore. His turnovers went up. At that point, we never saw Jaron Cumberland playing, you know, at at the at a level even close to what he was at his junior year. And a player of Jaron Cumberland's caliber, it is unique in Cincinnati Bearcat basketball history to have a guy who was conference player of the year his junior season to come back his senior year and not peak, right? He never went up a level like other great Bearcats have in the past, like Sean Kilpatrick, Kenyon, Logan. We've talked about him before. Um, I do think there's questions to be asked about whether John Brandon did a good enough job protecting Jaron Cumberland in the media, given the injury problems. Because at this point, our understanding is that Jaron Cumberland was hampered by a foot injury, a heel injury, um, that kind of that held him back throughout the season. But I felt like if you listen to Jer- to John Brandon's press conferences, it was tough to get a feel for was Jaron Cumberland actually injured? Is there an attitude issue? He did get benched for a coach's decision. I don't know if John Brandon did a good enough job protecting Jaron Cumberland this season. What are your thoughts? I think he did a terrible job to be honest. 
uh, f- frankly, I think he did a terrible job uh, throughout this whole season. I think I mentioned how frustrated I was with with what John Brandon was saying about Cumberland. Was he hurt? Was it was it an attitude? And the fact that it that we're here as a fan base left wondering was it an attitude or was it a, was it a foot injury is is insane. You know, that's something that a coach can squash immediately and just say it's an injury or whatever it is. You know, just tell us what it is and that's fine. You know, yeah, we you know, we had to bench Cumberland. I get I get him saying it to coach's decision because you don't want to flat out come out and say, yes, Jaron Cumberland's been a little bitch in practice. But, you know, when it comes to being an it, but when it comes to being injured, you know, that's something you can talk about. You can say, yes, Jaron Cumberland, we've seen a decrease because he's 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 working through an injury. He's playing. He's playing through pain. You know, that's something that I think as a fan, we, we can appreciate that. And I don't think we're going to be as hard on him knowing that he's injured like that over that last stretch of stretch of the what, what it was, the final 10 games. Yeah, I mean, would, would Brad Stevens do that? I don't know. I mean, would an NBA coach do that, Hummer? I don't know. I hurts his Hall of Fame chances, I think. No, no, no. I got uh, I got Hummer to say one thing negative about John Brennan. So I, I, I complete. I'll see you guys later. Yep. Have, have a good rest of the week. podcast. <laughs> Still love no. John Brandon. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I'm not negative on him either. I just, uh, you know, I think there are some things that we should um, that deserve to be discussed. I don't think it's been all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. For... It was. It wasn't sunshine and rainbows, but it was a season that just had a ton of wrinkles and ups and downs. And I'm glad you bring up the the Brandon Jaron Cumberland dynamic in press conferences because I think. A lot of the drama this season had would have been alleviated had we just had a better sense of what Jaron Cumberland's injury status was. Because honestly, if he's just sitting out games because he's hurt, his reputation doesn't take the hit that it took by playing through injury, right? I don't really have a question at this point that he was playing through injury. It seems obvious he missed the South Florida game. I mean, he was sitting out late in the year, but the way he was talked about Uh, or maybe he wasn't talked about by the head coach in press conferences where it just was kind of left open to interpretation. I don't think it helped the situation. I do think it exacerbated some of the drama. It certainly increased the speculation amongst the fan base and the media. Um, I think at this point it's well understood that he was injured, played through pain, showed a ton of grit. It would have been nice to know more of that as the season progressed. Sounds like you you guys need to have him on the podcast. We'd love it. He's Hummer's best friend, you know. I think I think Hummer's got the contact at this point to make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> got the picture to prove it. <laughs> so next season is going to rapidly approach. Um, obviously, there's lots of unknowns with with regard to COVID nineteen, the type of off season program anyone's going to have. Uh, you know, we can safely assume that nobody's in the gym right now, uh, getting reps up or working on their game, based on uh, where we stand as a country. Uh, but what what are your expectations going into next season, given the roster turnover we're going to see? I think first, do you think that's good or bad for Brandon? So no one can recruit right now. So he's probably just holed up and just watching film, right? So. Uh, he's on a beach with his wife right now, apparently. I don't know that they oh. they might be self-isolating, but they're doing so uh, on an island somewhere based on his Twitter feed. Oh, so I can just, yeah, I can't wait for the the social media, you know, video of Brandon just on Miami beats going, you know, <laughs> sorry, I just need to party guys. It's, it's things more important in life than this COVID-19. Well, I mean, I know they can recruit. 
it's not that they can't recruit. I mean, they can still reach out via phone calls and, and everything remotely, but they're obviously not sitting in gyms watching guys play. They're not going to their houses and visiting with them, being able to give them the hard sell and why they come to Cincinnati. Uh, but I think the biggest thing you're going to see as an issue is if some of these guys aren't getting into the gym they're themselves, they aren't working out, I think you're going to see maybe a start to the college basketball season similar to what you see had happened this year, uh, where those first 10 games are just going to be you know, ugly. <laughs> well, yeah, co- college basketball, reps. it can be rough on the eyes sometimes, and I don't think that an offseason of no practice and no con- continuity, I don't think that's going to help at all. <laughs> it could be painful. The only, the only, you know, shining star about it though is that it's not just Cincinnati that's going through this. It's every college basketball team's going to go through this. So, you know, from a a level of how far behind the curve would this team be, I don't think it's going to be any further than say a Memphis is going to be because they're going through the exact same thing. I think it's, I think it's a huge. De- I think it could impact us more in some ways though because we talked about. Brandon coming in, trying to implement his system, then shifting it to a Jaron Cumberland-focused system. Well, now he's got to go back, right? He has to go back to the drawing board because the two guys, the two most consistent guys, Cumberland and Trey Scott, both of them are gone. Uh, it, we proved toward the end of the season you can't really lean on Chris Vote as a go-to option, right? If he wasn't in our starting lineup last year, would either of you be shocked? Yes. No. You would be shocked? All right. I, I would be shocked. I wouldn't actually be shocked if he wasn't in the starting lineup. I mean, I, I maybe I would expect yeah. him to be, but I don't know that I'm, I'm, I'd be stunned. Either way, he now has to completely revamp how this offense functions. We saw a bit of it toward the end of the season when Jaron Cumberland missed a game against USF. We, we saw that it wasn't all hope wasn't lost. We scored well against that team. But again, that was USF. I don't know how you can reciprocate that or, or I'm sorry, uh, replicate that against good teams. Um, Losing out on those reps and that and that type of planning, I think, could be a really big deal for Brandon and the Bearcats moving forward. Yeah, it points to some some question marks, some big question marks for next season. And obviously, it's really hard to do this right now because we don't know what's going to happen on the you know recruitment trail and the grad transfers and whatnot. But yeah, like if you look at it now, like I have all the faith in the world in Keith Williams. I think he is poised to make the jump, but. Outside of that, yeah, I mean, like, I don't trust Chris Vogt. I, like, you know, Mamanu was great toward the end of the season. I don't know if I fully trust it, but do we? are we sure he's going to jump to the next level? Like, and then what else is there? You know, Adams Woods showed some good signs, but it really seems to be all on Keith Williams' shoulder right now. Um, and so it's that's a question mark. Right. I'm so ready to jump on the Mamadou train. <laughs> I think everyone is, but I mean, right. We would be kidding ourselves if we thought Mamadou was going to take a leap that made him a double-digit scorer. Who do you think on the Bearcats can score 10 or more points per game at this point? Keith Williams, and then Chris Vogt can probably get there, maybe, with enough looks uh, down low. Um, I guess he finished the season there, so of course he can. So you've got two guys, though, who you can consistently lean on for scoring at this point. Zach Harvey, you like to think he's going to make a leap, but he Definitely wasn't ready for major minutes his freshman season. It's going to be a huge summer for him in terms of development to see if we can actually put him in a starting lineup or lean on him, you know, over 20 minutes a game. I think Cam's right. I, I, th- I think it's uh, there are a ton of open mark, open ends for this next season. Making the tournament is certainly not going to be an expectation. Can we battle for top four in the conference next season is, is a big if at this point. 
I think you're missing out on one person who I think can, though, make a big jump, and that's Mike Adams-Woods. We saw flashes of of greatness from him at certain times of the season. He had a couple games where he scored in, in the 20-point range, so he has the ability to get the, the ball in the hoop, and, you know, without a Jaron Cumberland taking up the lion's share of usage, you know, and I don't think Keith Williams is honestly going to even get the type of usage we saw from Jaron next year, so it is going to be more democratic, getting more opportunities for guys like Mike Adams to make plays. So I think you are going to, I think that's a guy you're going to see have a, a big sophomore jump in terms of what he's he's uh, going to produce for this team. It could happen. I would compare Micah's trajectory. What I would expect is maybe similar to Troy Copain, where he can hit his, his ceiling may not be as high um, in general, right? Like, I don't know if Troy, uh, Micah Adams-Woods will ever become like a conference player of the year type player, but I think he could quickly get to 30 minutes per game, really solid point guard, you know, averages eight to nine points per game. That's probably the upside that I see for Micah in terms of at least a sophomore season. He, do, he does seem more, longer, more athletic than what Troy Copain was. So maybe there is a higher ceiling, but I don't, I don't know that a leap, I don't know how big that leap can possibly be for Micah. Yeah, the only reason I see if I see a big leap, it's also because of this. We he had significant minutes as a freshman already. I mean, he was right. in the starting five. He was already averaging, you know, tw- almost twenty minutes a game. You know, so by seeing the 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 production that he was given just through that, knowing that you had guys like Trey Scott, you had guys like Keith Williams, and you had guys like Jaron Cumberland taking the lion's share of the points and possessions out out on the court. Now that when things open up for him. Yeah, you know, I think you're, that's when he's gonna he's gonna shine a little bit more that he doesn't have giant shadows to stand under anymore. Well, let's just kick it around. Who, what's the starting lineup next year, game one? Ooh. You got Micah Adams Woods, Williams, Mamadou, vote maybe. Um. <laughs> right. Well, so uh, I, I, I don't yeah, know. The front the front court is a little little rough. Yeah, I think Chris Vogt likely gets the starting nod if it were Zach Coomer deciding who he thinks should be the starting uh, five for the Bearcats at the start of next season. Based on what we saw, I think our defense goes up a level with him on the court. I love the idea of spreading the court to have a more open offense that gives Keith Williams room for drives. I would put Chris Vogt on the bench to start games, and I'd give that starting nod at center to Mamadou Diara. So I'd see a starting lineup then of... I mean, it's rough. Micah Adams-Woods at point guard <laughs> at two. I mean, I guess Keith Williams is gonna, technically going to be our two, uh, two or three. At at the three, that's completely open-ended at this point. Um, maybe Jeremiah Davenport, maybe Zach Harvey. One of them is going to have to earn the job. I guess at this point I'll go with the pedigree, and I'll go with Zach Harvey. At four... I'm going with the freshman sensation on this one. I'm going Tari Eason. Wow. Length, versatility, ability to shoot from the outside. I'm just going with the raw talent. I'm going with the Tracy McGrady comps. And then at the five, I'm starting Mamadou Diara. So it's a really lengthy, rangy team. It's a team that can spread it around the three-point line. Not a ton of maybe knockdown shooters, but, but guys who can theoretically knock down three-point shots and a team that should defend at an extremely high level based on how much length you have at every position in that case. I agree with that. I like that starting lineup, but I do feel as if uh, they're going to they're gonna run with um, Chris Vota in the starting five, and I think you'll see Tari Eason transition into a starter the same way we saw Micah Adams-Woods transition into a starter as the season goes along, and we're realizing that we need more length on the court. 
and we need to spread things out and not have the, the middle clogged up because let's be real, Chris Vogt cannot play anywhere that's not three feet away from the basket. Right. He can yeah. come out and yeah, set think, and roll. That's it. Yeah, I think Chris Vogt's development is going to be huge, and I think it'll be a big test for Brandon as a coach. Maybe um, he'll take the next step, but it's definitely a question mark right now. Because he was a he was such a liability on the defensive end toward the I mean even when he was doing well on, on the offensive end which he's great at you know like you said <laughs> three feet I know that was like derogatory three feet uh, between the hoop but he like he was great for uh, and still uh, offensively great even toward the end of the the season but I mean he was just like a black hole on defense it was like five against four. Yeah. The, only, the only plus I see with Chris Vogt being down low is that they always, like, team scouted him. Anytime he got the ball down low, they double-team him. If yeah. someone's double-teaming you, there has to be an open man somewhere. Right. And if we can run that through to him and we're getting guys like Keith Williams, Zach Harvey, or any of these myriad of other shooters that we just brought in from a recruiting standpoint open up on the three-point range, maybe that's where you can create some fun offense out of it. But other than that, I think, he, yeah, he's pretty much a liability at yeah, this point. Yeah, does an offseason – after after having much more of the offense run through him than ever in his life, probably, or at least since high school, does he pick up on double teams faster, and can he make a quick pass out of that double team? If he can do that next season, he is much more effective, right? He becomes more valuable, because if you are forcing double teams, there are going to be open men. You can break down a defense much easier. The problem was he just had never had a feel or a sense for when that double team came and wasn't making quick passes or decisive decisions. We are basing our starting starting lineup, though, based on the roster as currently constructed. Next season, we do anticipate at least having one to two grad transfers. I would say maybe as many as three. And so we don't know who next season's Javen Cumberland is going to be. We don't know who next season's Jay Sarola is going to be. And that could influence what our, our lineup looks like. And there's lots of names floating around out there. I'm not big for the speculation, given how many there are at this point. But I do expect our, our roster to have at least another two to three players on it. And then the, a big wild card is what happens to Prince Toyambi, a guy that, that I adored and loved and had huge, huge expectations for this season, uh, largely based on his impressive calves. But, you know, is he able to play basketball again? Is he a potential <laughs> contributor for the Bearcats next season? Uh, that's very did much you, TBD. Did, did you say impressive calves? Calves, yes. Calves. <laughs> He should um, he should put some some classes like some workouts like cab workouts well that you can do at home. I like to it to teach us all. I like it. Good good Instagram content. And I think on that note, we probably have kind of exhausted as much we as we can the Cincinnati Bearcats. What the off season looks like. I appreciate Cam challenging us on some of the uh, the optimism and hype that we brought to this pod. But we are all in quarantine at this point. We're all self isolating. What you been doing? There's no sports on TV. What do you, what have you guys been doing in quarantine? Buying toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, can can we can we talk about the whole the, the whole toilet paper thing? Is that the dumbest thing that has come out of this whole pandemic? I mean, why I I that would not be the first thing. Like I I I I guess it makes sense from a practical standpoint, but like you know, there's there's not a supply chain shortage here like if everyone just bought toilet paper the way they were supposed to everything would be fine like why does like the fact that everyone's just hoarding it now it just seems so dumb anytime <laughs> in this, it feels like in this country anytime there's 
uh, a media firestorm for why the world is coming to an end. We sell a bunch of toilet paper. We sell a, and a bunch of water, right? Is there, has anything happened to the water source? Is something wrong with tap water at this point, except in a few select places in this country, which, by the way, I can't believe that's still the case, but... By the way, that, why, what you're why talking about toilet about, paper? Why water? Where, that is, where the to- where the water is an issue, it's not COVID nineteen related at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. So everyone, I, I noticed the same thing. Cam toilet paper had flown off the shelves, so I I seized the opportunity, and I have an abundance of uninstalled bidets in my house now. So mm. if anybody is looking for a bidet, I, I cannot I wait to take a shit in your house now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, it's called the shower. <laughs> True. <laughs> Exactly. Do it the American way, people. I, I think the toilet paper frenzy Waste as much water as possible. That's what we do. I'm just speculating, but I remember there. I think there was a couple reports that, that came out that said at some point that cities in China had run out of toilet paper, so people were freaking out that they wouldn't have clean bums. And, you know, we're already not shaking hands, so I don't really get what the big deal is anyway. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I want to say that's what drove the frenzy. Uh, we did not stock up on a ton of toilet paper but we were at the grocery store at sam's club and we're like do we need toilet paper and we're like i don't know so we bought one one of those big packs of to- toilet paper brought it home and then realized we already had one in the basement so uh we now have approximately like 100 rolls of toilet paper so you're part of the problem so you are look at hummer the hummer hummers we, are part of the problem we only brought one we didn't buy we didn't buy their whole stock but uh, yes, unfortunately, we are now officially hoarding toilet paper. <laughs> well, we had a uh, we had a virtual happy hour yesterday, so that was one way nice. to pass the time. Tiki themed Hawaiian shirt happy hour. Yeah, I got a little lit on that. We were doing shots of well, I was doing shots of Rumplemans, and you were doing what? Did you tequila? Anything that I could find. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing we didn't stock up on liquor. Right. Well, the thing that you do want, I think you just want to minimize how often you're leaving the house. So it does make sense to stock up to an extent. Now, one pack of toilet paper typically lasts you, I don't know, three to four weeks. Depends how many people you have in your house. So oh, yeah, the rest of it. Last we don't need to buy toilet paper for like a, a year now. <laughs> alcohol, uh, food, that those kind of things do make sense to load up on given, you know, if you want to go out every two weeks versus every one week, uh, that would make sense. So do you now have to make another an alcohol run, Cam? Is that what I'm hearing? You've run out? Always. Yeah. Well, I mean, alcohol, food, like that makes sense. If you were to say, if you were to say there's going to be a pandemic coming and everyone went out to buy rice and beans and booze, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess the first thing I didn't think of was toilet paper. Uh, I don't know. Crazy time we're living when in. We were out, when we were out doing our shopping at Costco, our, our logic was we didn't know if we had it because we hadn't bought it in so long. So we were like, well, toilet paper never goes bad. We'll just buy another. We'll just buy one more, one more thing of it. And if we didn't have it, great. We have. We don't have to run back out. That was our logic. But it's and now that you're mentioning the booze and stuff, though. What was your what's your go to? What are you stocking up on beer wise? What's like what what beer are you going to hoard for yourself in these crazy weird times? Well, Allie and I, my wife and I, brewed a batch of beer um, a week ago. So in about <laughs> Three or four weeks, we'll have a ton of beer here. <laughs> nice. What are you good? What are you gonna do in between those three, three or four weeks? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Just uh, ripping shots of this gross rum I have over here, I guess. <laughs> well, 
describe the beer. Like, what are you what are you anticipating after the three weeks? Is it going to be in the? Is it like an amber, an, an ale? Is it a uh, IPA? I'm the, I'm not a beer guy, so I'm just going to kind of rip off the few names I know. Yeah, it's an IPA. IPA. We uh, yeah, it's it's a clone. So there's a there's a brewery here in New York, the Bronx Brewery, that uh, make a really good IPA. So we stole their recipe and tried to mimic it, and then we're going to test it out and see how we did. There's been a big push to to buy local in, in these times, and I wish I would have, but unfortunately, I've become obsessed with the Brooklyn Amber Ale. Uh, I think from around your neck of the woods, Cam, that's kind of what I've been enjoying, so I, I got myself a few six-packs of that, and it's my current beer of choice. What about you, Hum? So I went and I bought some local. Um, then I also went and supported the German economy, by, by purchasing some Paul Honor, uh, Hefeweizens. Uh, and then because I wanted to save some money because craft beer gets expensive really quickly, I purchased 15 packs of Goose Island and Founders. I thought, I thought you were going to say like natural light or like high life. <laughs> and you're like, he went with Goose Island and Founders. Like, okay, wow. Hummer household still doing well. <laughs> the economy has not taken its toll gonna, on the Hummer cut family. Cut back yet. a little and just <laughs> buy some founders. In these tough times, we're buying all of the resources. <laughs> well, I did get one thirty pack of Miller Lite. I mean, gotta be sensible here. <laughs> there you go. Just thirty though. I have a hundred and two beers left. Do you have any um, <laughs> any uh, recent movie recommendations? You Movies. Uh, I can do a TV show, Schitt's Creek. It's Is that uh, a real S- TV show? What, yeah, what streaming S- service S- are we on? What, what streaming service? Uh, it's Hulu. It's on the Pop Network. Okay. Comedy? It's really funny. It's a comedy. Right. It has the uh, the dad from uh, American, American Pie. Oh, yeah, American, American Pie. Pie movie's nice. I like that guy. Big eyebrows. Bushy eyebrows. Big eyebrow Impressive guy. Eyebrows. Yeah, he's hysterical. And it has the mom from Home Alone. <laughs> Kevin! <laughs> her her accents on it's it's hysterical. I highly suggest checking out. It's kind of a little bit like Arrested Development and vibe. Okay, nice. What are you watching, Cam? I finally started Billions, oh. so we're through the first few episodes of that. I think it's uh it's pretty good. It's entertaining. I think it's like a more over the top like cartoonish version of Secession. Yeah, which exactly. of course like we absolutely love. Like Secession was amazing. If anyone hasn't seen that. Go watch that. Binge oh, that for sure. Totally co-sign the Succession talk. Uh, I find that show to just be absolutely incredible. You've only got two seasons to watch. Billions is coming back in May, and I enjoy Billions just as much, just in a different way. It's more over the top. Uh, the characters are a little bit more caricature- caricature-ish. Right. You know, um, but you got to love Paul Giamatti. You got to love the guy with the small mouth from Homeland. Uh, forgetting his name right now. Damien Lewis just <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> no, it's it's not an original take. Uh, SNL did a, a whole bit about how small his mouth was, and it's extremely. I talk like this, barely open it. Uh, but I, I like yeah, that show as well. Definitely quarantine uh, worthy. Also, have uh, movies. Have you guys seen Dark Waters? No, I have not. That's so about a lawyer from Cincinnati, I think, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's why I brought it up. So UC fans would probably enjoy this. There's a lot of like, a lot of shots of the Cincinnati skyline, um, the actual skyline, not the chili. By the way, we should talk about that in a second. But um, 
Yeah, and uh, based in based a lawyer based in Cincinnati does a Colerain Bowl appearance. Wow, which is great. Oh, and it's, Colerain Bowl. But, but the the premise that basically it's like it's based on a true story, but uh, it's one of those you know poison the water um, stories. So it's like Aaron Brockovich with old white people. So it's good. It's good. It's entertaining. Definitely quarantine worthy watch. Is that available on any of the streaming platforms, or is it a rent like a pay to rent kind of thing? Yeah, I paid the rent. I did the Apple TV okay. rent for three, four bucks. So I'm not yeah. sure if it's on the streaming services too. The show I've gotten into, I'm about halfway through it at this point, is called Zero Zero Zero. It is your classic drug cartel, cocaine being moved across the world type movies. Tells the story from the perspective of three different families. You have the Mexican family uh, that is basically producing the cocaina. And you have the Italian family, who's the ultimate purchaser and selling it in their home country. And then you also have this middleman, the broker, who's essentially responsible for getting it from Mexico to Italy. Uh, eight episodes on Amazon Prime. Extremely violent. So if you're not into that kind of thing, uh, wouldn't recommend it if you don't like seeing something that's a little, uh, if you get squirmish. But very entertaining. Uh, I'd say it's probably closer it's probably getting comp to, to Narcos. It pro- it seems like it's being told. I'm only halfway through, but it seems like it's being told in a little more over-the-top type way. Maybe a little bit more unrealistic in some respects, but still very entertaining. Perfect quarantine watch. Nice. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a good, uh, good cartel no. story. Yeah, it's, it always um, has a spot. I had a yeah, good but- little pleasure the other night. I did two. I did the back-to-backs, Hostel 1, Hostel 2. <laughs> nice. Julia got pissed and made me watch them by myself. <laughs> I was thinking of like good um, quarantine type movies like Shaun of the Dead or something like some like zombie apocalypse would be good right now to watch. That'd be great. Contagion. Matt Contagion. Damon, that's a, a bunch great of other one. Good actors. Yeah, that's that's definitely flying off the shelves right now uh, or digitally. I guess the people yeah. go to the shelves. That anymore. One. Yeah, Julia wouldn't let me watch that one either with her. <laughs> So my wife and I did get into a very, very guilty pleasure watch. Uh, I think I mentioned it to the two of you, and and I think I should mention it here. We we did the entire season of Love is Blind on Netflix, and we hate ourselves for it. We were extremely uncomfortable the first time we turned it on, but I'll tell you this. We could not look away. It is a a – they call it an experiment uh, on the show, throughout the show, it is very much that, and the types of humans that you are observing, interacting with one another and talking as if they are truly, madly, deeply in love after <laughs> three or four blind dates is remarkable. Oh, it's that one? Is it's that the that one where one. they... Yes. Yeah, they can't see each other or before they start dating or whatever. They just talk, right? Right. And so I thought going into it, you couldn't see each other when you met. And so eventually you decided who you were going to date. And then from that point, you would see each other, get to know each other. And then it's kind of like The Bachelor where it concludes and climaxes with a potential proposal. This show, if you decide you, you really like this person and you want to start dating this person, well, during your blind date, during your final blind date, you get on one knee and you propose. And so you enter seeing each other for the first time actually being engaged. And that leads to all sorts of unintentional comedy. Um, Spoiler alert, one of the couples spent the entire time not touching each other, basically, because the woman was not physically attracted to the man, but she was 
unwilling to end it and was kept giving it a chance and simultaneously flirting with another one of the couples. It was just lots. It's horrible. It's mm-hmm. it's a horrible reflection on what of us as a human species, uh, but could not recommend it highly enough. If you're looking to just get nasty and dirty for a couple nights, watch Love is Blind and uh, so, don't yeah. leave the judgment at home. All right. Put, so it's just it like the room. it's kind of like this podcast. You know, if you just listen to it, it's fine. But you don't want to see us. Yeah, you don't want to see this. Yeah, you just want to have it have it on in the background. You know, just so I mentioned Skyline earlier, so we should probably bring this up um, because you know you guys ask all your guests the Skyline or Gold Star question. So, well, would I be the first? Would I be the first Gold Star person? Has anyone said Gold Star? Nobody's said. We're going to edit this. We're going to edit this. Why would you say Gold Star? All the Gold Star cans are still on the shelves. Here, here, look, here's my, (laughs) here's my theory on, so I totally get it. Like I'm one, I'm the 1% here on America. Um, I, I understand all of Cincinnati. So first of all, I, for background, I grew up in Cincinnati, went to school there and I live in New York now, but I think the, my theory behind why people love Skyline, at least, you know, Cincinnati fans so much is because of how awesome the Clifton skyline is. Yes. Which is, is undisputably, undisputably a great place. Like everyone, you know, it's open, what, 24 seven or late night? Uh, it's, open many th- of, it's open at 3 a.m. Yeah. 3 a.m., yes. Yeah. So many of us had uh, late nights there. It's a great place, great atmosphere. My take is if I'm going to go, like if I'm going back to Cincinnati, you know, with my wife, who's not from Cincinnati, not like didn't even have Cincy Chili until we met, like, if I'm going for atmosphere and just, like, overall ambience, I'm going to go to Camp Washington. Why? Why? <laughs> Over Clifton? You just got done saying how amazing Clifton Skyline is, that it has the best ambiance. It's open to 3 a.m. So no matter what time your flight gets in, you know you can go to this place and get an amazing bowl or an amazing bowl of chili, not just bowl of chili. You can get an amazing three, four, five-way and a couple of cheese conies. Why did you just say Camp Washington after raving about Clifton Skyline? Well, I'll give you one reason. Does Skyline serve beer? No. Ooh. Okay. Just going to drop my <laughs> mic here. I'll let you guys have it out. You don't need a beer with Skyline. That's not why you're eating. You, come on. Look, you got a Diet no, Mountain actually, Dew. I, you, you get something I, like I that. I understand where Cam's coming from. I mean, because typically we ask Skyline or Gold Star. You know, so when you're going outside the realm of those two chains, yes, Camp Washington, I think, is one of the best chili parlors alongside Blue Ash Chili. So yep. I would actually take if I'm if I have my choice to go to one of those two cha- those two locations because they're not chains, I would go to one of those two over Skyline if like they were all like proximity wise all three were equidistant from me. You're both crazy. <laughs> I totally thought Cam was coming in here with the take of Skyliner Gold Star. I'll take the indie. You know, I thought you were gonna go the <laughs> hipster route of I'm not choosing either. I'm going with Camp Washington. You ended up there. I think you did admit that you would have gone gold star between the two of them. But guys, it doesn't skyline, especially Clifton skyline. You're taking that over any other parlor in the entire city. Facts. We just have to, yeah, you have to clarify it. Is it, is it your best chili parlor or the best chili? So if I just eat a three way and a cheese coney, I prefer gold star. Sue me. I I have to think you haven't had gold star in quite some time. I used to be the same way. I grew up by a gold star. Um, I went to it constantly, and I, I loved it at that time. 
after leaving Cincinnati for over five years and then coming back, and I tried the two, I've given it an honest, you know, an honest try, honest effort. There's no question. Skyline is the premier chili, Cincinnati chili option in this tri-state area. It's just group things. That's what's happening right here. <laughs> I think you, I, I'm glad you hit the nail on the head that Clifton Skyline is by far the best because I do think it tastes great. and feels different when you eat it there as opposed to any other option in the city. It's true. It's, it's undeniably an amazing place. Can't deny it. So but do you have a, do you, is great, do you have a graders take? Do you actually enjoy graders or do you think that you, you go a different route there too? We had Justin Williams on who said that he wouldn't even go graders. He would go UDF. No, I love graders. Love graders. My, uh, what I, I, the, uh, coffee ice cream is the one I got the most growing up. So I know that's not a normal one bo- and a lot of chip? people do. No, it's just coffee. Oh, it's called coffee. coffee. That, that yeah. makes Everything makes so much like everything makes sense now. The world is clear. I now understand where your love of like making your own like grinded coffee with the nice little French press on. <laughs> hey man, I live in Brooklyn, you know. So let's talk about <laughs> you living in Brooklyn. How do you self isolate in Brooklyn? Because I know, I mean, things are. It's kind of the epicenter of the COVID breakout in the country. Yeah, it's tough because you know most places, at least in the Midwest, you know you all can self-quarantine but you still have a yard and uh we're pretty much just stuck in here you know chasing our cat around so um (laughs) but i mean like it hasn't got to the point like we've we've ridden our bikes and gone for jogs this week i don't know if that's going to change um that's still legal as of right now so but it's been an adjustment especially the working from home thing so i normally work remotely anyway but now ali's here as well. So we're just, you know, Brooklyn's not known for its space. I'll say that in terms of, yeah, uh, right. Real estate. <laughs> you're working next to each other as if it's like a school desk. You each have your own school desk. You're sitting in, uh, it's limited to like 12 cubic feet. Yeah. Can we just pretend like there's a wall here, please? <laughs> so what you're telling me is, is if, if, if you come, if you turn up dead in two weeks, it's not because of COVID-19 it's because Allie murdered you. Yeah, exactly. I think, <laughs> I think you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what the what the birth rate's going to be throughout all this. But I think there's there hasn't been enough talk about the divorce and murder rate that could happen because of <laughs> this pandemic. Crime is is finally going up across the country. Well, Domestic Joy and I've been Joy and I've been joking that we we've, we've been preparing for this ever since we moved to Philly because we essentially have been quarantined with one another for four straight years. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just official yeah it's just official so we are coming up on that time maybe to to end here but i did want to ask cam we're getting back to the bearcats a little bit do you think that steve logan or Sh- or sean kilpatrick do you think either of them should have their jersey retired uh i think sean kilpatrick would be a little aggressive maybe steve logan i don't know how do you guys feel about the whole Jersey retirement in general. Like, I feel like it has to be like, I don't think it should just be for someone that was an amazing player. Like it has to, it has to be someone that's like really transcended the the team and the community. Like it's gotta be like, it, I, I like pretty high bar for retiring a number. What do you guys think? Well, I was, that's a good question to ask, right? Should UC, I think has a higher bar than most universities. Like I saw San Diego state, retired Kawhi Leonard's jersey. And it might not sound crazy, 
but he only played there for two years. It's not like he, at, at the college level, was as amazing and transcendent as he is now as a as an NBA player, but they retired the jersey. And I think about that happening uh, versus, and I, you know, Villanova did the same thing for Archie Diacomo, and he was never remotely the player that Steve Logan was. Now, he got a national championship, and maybe that's playing into it, but I don't know. I just... I wouldn't retire Sean Kilpatrick's jersey, personally. Um, I don't think that he had the lasting impact and legacy that some of the other great players at UC have had. Steve Logan, it just feels right. You know, he didn't have an NBA career. He got drafted as the first pick in the second round. Things never took off for him uh, for a variety of reasons. But he was one of these, just the epitome of an awesome, dominant college player. And he did so at 5'10", maybe. Um, he was always a little bit on the heavier side. You know, it just, he wasn't your normal, typical dominant player. And because of that, I find myself just more, I, it seems more right to retire his jersey because you're not going to see someone like Steve Logan again in a Bearcat uniform. That's not the profile of a guy who outscores an opposing team that becomes a national All-American who played four years, tons of awesome memories with this guy. It just, that one in particular, just, it seems like 22 should be in the rafters. Here it is. Finished second in career scoring behind only Oscar Robinson. He's second him. in UC history uh, for, for assists with 456. He scored 20 plus points 22 times, including eight games of 30 plus in his senior year. He set the UC record for free throw percentage at 88.6 or 86.6%. And he was the AP and two time conference USA player of the year. I mean, if that's not transcending the team in over his career. I don't know what else you have to do except, you know, now destroy Oscar Robinson scoring, <laughs> scoring uh, record. I mean, what else do you have to do? Can I, you know, be, can I confirm you are saying Robertson, correct? Yes. Okay. What am I not? Am I? I, I sounded like story? Robinson, and I just wanted to make sure you were getting blasted across the interwebs uh, uh, on that. Just looking uh, out for you. Robertson. Yeah, I'm just looking out for you. I just wanted to make sure it was coming, being heard correctly by everybody. But yeah. I mean, what else do you have to do? What else do you have to do to to get your jersey in the in the rafters? If that's not good enough, you know what? What else do you want? I think right. the, one, yeah. the one thing that held him back is. You know, he was able to play in his senior year tournament, right? Kenyon Martin never got that experience where, like, if Kenyon Martin got knocked off in the second round that senior year and he was playing, like, let's say we lost to Tulsa, but Kenyon actually played. I think the way we look and remember, look at and remember that team is way different. And he did get national player of the year. So the jersey probably still does go up, but it changes everything, right? Everything now is hypothetical and we just get to say we were national champions. That whole season has an asterisk on it. Steve Logan got to play his senior year, and we did lose a wild double overtime game against UCLA where kind of the wheels came off. We could never get a stop, and it kind of changed everyone's memory of that final season. If we even went to the Sweet 16, I think it may be that. I think that simple change in outcome gets Steve Logan's jersey retired. But because he never had the tournament run, it, it sits... It sits and, and is worn now by Rashad Bishop, Coriante, DeBerry, and whichever other Bearcats choose to have such a jersey number in the future. What do you guys think about Connor Barwin? <laughs> dual, dual athlete, dual sports? 
I mean, uh, saved and, saved UC basketball. Some could argue was willing to come back and play on the on the team. But not only that, you talk about transcending maybe play. Even he went and had a great career in the NFL. I believe he's a Super Bowl champion. He is he a Super Bowl champion? Do I have that right? With the Eagles, I uh, believe believe so. With the Philadelphia Eagles, he has one of the most epic YouTube videos of all time made about him. Um, and he was you know is a social animal when he was on campus. I believe is that right? Yeah, can I? Can you guys gonna let me tell? Finally, tell my Connor Barwin story. Please do. Please do. Can you? Can you curse on the podcast? Should I keep it? You can. PG-13? Already, I think I've done. I think I've done two two curses already. <laughs> We're deep enough into this podcast that if anybody anybody who's left at this point certainly doesn't mind cursing. Yeah, no one's listening to this. Um, okay, so I don't remember what year it was. I think it it was, well, it was the year um, Coomer, you and I lived together. What was that? Sophomore, junior year. Yeah, I want to say this was maybe 2008 or so. So at UC. So this was at the old Holy Grail, the one in Clifton, RIP, the real Holy Grail, I would say. So um, that place would used to get super packed, especially on Thursday nights, uh, Thirsty Thursdays. And so I was at the Holy Grail one night uh, with a few friends, and there was, as there usually is, just an extremely long line for the men's bathroom you know, wrapping around the the bar. So I got up to, I finally got up uh, in line to where, you know, you do that awkward thing between going through the door or not. Uh, I'm in the bathroom and everyone's waiting, just, you know, looking at the the urinals and the, the sink or whatnot. And then in comes Connor Barwin, just bursts through the door, walks through the line, cuts in front of everyone, goes up to the sink, Pulls his junk out and just starts going. <laughs> so was it impressive? And, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And I'm just sitting here just watching this whole thing. But the, funny, the funniest part was that the way that the Holy Grail bathroom worked is that the urinals were pretty much right next to the sink. I think there, there's probably a wall near it. Maybe not. I don't remember. But this guy starts, at, you know, Connor finishes up, just leaves. And everyone's just like, what just happened? And this guy's like, man, that guy just came up here and his dick all near my shoulder and shit while I'm trying to take a piss. Like, just go up in the sink here, dick all near my shoulder. And then uh, someone someone behind him goes, do you know who that was? He's like, I don't give a fuck who that was. His dick all next to my shoulder. I'm going to beat that guy's ass, man. And I'm just dying, dying uh, like this. This is amazing. So that's my... That's my Connor Barwin story. Connor Barwin on the Reddit AMA when asked who had the biggest dick in the Philadelphia Eagles locker room mentioned Nick Foles and how he was hung like a horse. And that is why Nick Foles in Philadelphia is, is known as Big Dick Nick. So Connor Barwin <laughs> is responsible for the BDN craze? Wow. Yes. Even more reason. Retire his jersey. Retire the jersey. Retire enough the jersey. is enough. We've seen enough. All-time Bearcat. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you guys taking some time out of your busy quarantined lives to hop on the uh, Cincy Slangin' podcast. Cam, welcome back. I'm glad we actually gave you a chance to talk some Bearcats basketball. Turns out you know a thing or two. It's been fun. Have me back on anytime. And when I mean anytime, only during this quarantine when I have nothing to do. (laughs) Next Sunday, we discuss. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a long season. We're going to have to get creative with the topics and uh, see what we can do to keep folks entertained and 
and keep Bearcat basketball on people's minds. Cam, do you watch hey. Bearcat football? Here and there. Um, it's it's funny. The older you get, and, you know, I don't even have kids yet, but you start, like, you know, at one time I'd watch every single sport, like just whatever's on. Cornhole, sure. Like, throw it on. <laughs> ESPN Ocho. But you start to, like, take, like, little pieces away. And so college football has started to be one of those. Like, I don't watch any NHL anymore. I used to watch at least the NHL playoffs. Like, yeah. college football is one of those. But, um, yeah, I try to catch it when I can. It's obviously been – it was a great season last year. And and also, like, the the funny part, I love I love the offseason or, like, the in-between offseason when the coach could be leaving or the coach couldn't be leaving. Like, just all that content and all the arguments. Yes. And I love – my favorite take is on Twitter that comes up is, like, well <laughs> – Coach X wouldn't leave his family, like wouldn't leave his family, like <laughs> Thank his you. kids are in school in this community. And it's just like, how many times do does this have to happen? Like how many times is that does it have to take to to find out that these coaches do not give a fuck about where their kids are going to school? They will move them to you know, USC, if that's where the money is, like, guys, it's just hilarious. Thank you. Because people in the in just the regular business world move all the time exactly we take new opportunities no matter where they opportunities take you across the country across the world and it usually means better opportunity more interesting work but at the end of the day it also usually means more money and that's the same so i got egg on my face with the luke fickle thing because i basically i on the podcast said if michigan state wants him michigan state gets him now michigan state apparently be appears to be an extreme outlier to every other major Division One football program. But enough with that argument. People said the same thing about Mick Cronin, that he wouldn't pack up and move his daughter. They're saying the same thing about Luke Fickle. And it's not just Cincinnati fans. Every Ryan university Kelly. fan base does this. Everyone. And it's all, they'll move their families. Everyone's going to yeah. move their families. And it's awesome that he stayed. I, th- I think that's amazing. Like, yes. And I hope he stays forever like i i would imagine next year in three years this is gonna happen again but I, it's just it's it's hilarious the, the reaction every time and i love it i just love following it <laughs> yeah i used to be down to uh i i also eliminated sports i was basically down to nba college basketball and, and tennis and moving back to cincinnati had completely re-energized my interest i would say this moving to cincinnati and the pitching ninja on twitter had reinvigorated my interest in baseball. And I was getting really excited for this upcoming baseball season. The Reds spent a bunch of money. It looked like it was going to be you know, a, a bounce-back season. And we don't have baseball. Just typical Cincinnati sports fashion. I know. This is the year. Just cancel it all. Cancel. Cancel it. It's done. It's done. We're going we're gonna to wake up. Tomorrow's going to be 2021. It's done. Well, if it's not obvious enough yet, we're clearly going to be dedicating this podcast episode to Connor Barwin, former Bearcat basketball great. He was also decent at football. And uh, yeah, that's it. (laughs) Nothing more to be said than his dominant performance in the Holy Grail bathroom. (laughs) Here's to you, Connor. Cheers, Connor. Get that dick away from my shoulder.